All right, so we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, hey guys, uh, my name is Jordan Koss. This is uh, my wife, Corey. We lead the Zone Student Ministry at Campbell Church of Christ uh, in Campbell, California, right outside San Jose in the Silicon Valley. Yep, and so this morning, uh, we basically took the camp that we did last summer and we slammed it into, jam-packed it into like a 45-minute lecture for you. So the question we tried to answer that week of camp back in July of 2017 was how do you best teach teens uh, about the kingdom of God? And when you talk about the kingdom of God, you talk about God reigning, his reign over his realm, his creation. And when you talk about the kingdom of God, you if pretty much you're talking about someone's vision of the good life. And so that's why we kind of went the direction of talking about teenage desires. And when you talk about desires, especially the ones you see up on the board, you're talking about something that's relevant to both student and adult alike. And we all pursue our desires um, that we think will end up with us achieving that good life. And so, in the age of authenticity, which is a term coined by Catholic philosopher Charles Taylor, um, he says we are our desires. All right, and authenticity itself, he says uh, itself, authenticity itself is one's vision of the good life in this age. All right, so that's a, a sneak peek into what we're going to be tackling this morning. But here's where we started. We started from this quote by C.S. Lewis. It's called his argument from desire, and it says this: If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy. Um, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And so that's where we started. And I had never heard of this from C.S. Lewis before until about oh, just over a year ago. But that's where we started, and that's where our vision of the good camp took off. And then while we were looking at C.S. Lewis and this argument from desire, um, I was also reading a little bit of James K. Smith, and this is what he said in his book, Desiring the Kingdom. And it kind of backed up where we were headed with C.S. Lewis and this desire track. So he says, Christian witness to culture can affirm that even these secular liturgies with their misdirected desire, he talks about kind of like shopping at a mall or the university or something. He mentioned several secular liturgies, but with their misdirected desires are a witness to the desire for God. The misdirections are a sign of a perduring structure that we can build upon. They are oblique signs that we desire God. All right, And he said this in his book, You Are What You Love, which is kind of like a condensed version of desiring the kingdom. He based his book off this statement in yellow above. You are what you love, and you worship what you love, but you might not love what you think. So what do you want? What do you desire? What do you crave? And he said this following in the book, in the first chapter, discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than of knowing and believing. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. A vision of the good life encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God. So I'm going to hand it over to Corey. 
Okay, so confession time. I'm going to confess for my husband, which is a great marriage practice. <laughs> okay. Um, this camp, which ended up being called Crave, was originally named Yearn. Um, <laughs> that's the one I wanted. And uh, we, so we have a we have a camp planning team that we work out of, and um, every January this camp planning team is constructed of six Bay Area and you know one random Sacramento church. We all come together, okay, and we dream up what a middle school camp looks like and what a high school camp looks like. It's an extensive time of prayer for our group. And it's an extensive time of heated discussion over what exactly needs to go down during those two weeks. So we walked in with an original idea, and I'll be real straight with you, our entire team chewed it up and right. spit it out, and we drove home being like, oh man, do we even have friends anymore? What is this? <laughs> right? But here, here's what I'll say through that, and through that chewing up and spitting out, Jordan and I immediately got on our knees and realized, is it our vision or is it God's vision that we're going after? And out of that came this concept and idea, originally called Yearn, until we brought it to one of our students and they said, that sounds like pee camp. <laughs> if you're a Seinfeld fan, you'd understand. Right. right. So huh, we quickly looked up synonyms and came up with crave. Okay, and our team... So we have probably anywhere from 65 to 100 high schoolers that come to our camp, depending on the given year. The camp that we go to is called Daybreak Camp. It is incredibly rustic. It is not a retreat, but there's a huge blessing that comes with that. We have the ability to stretch our students' limits. They're going to get dirty. They're going to have black boogers by the end of camp because of all the <laughs> dust and dirt that they're inhaling. It's gonna happen, okay? They love that because they get to express and expand a part of themselves that they don't get to exercise in their normal routine. But the other thing it allows us to do, being this rustic camp, is we get to have our hands on everything. We direct, we plan, we get to pick and put volunteers in certain places, so we get to have flexibility with schedule and construct the entire week. So we took this idea after being on our knees and hearing the cry from our students, I just want something more. We hear that from our students all the time. I just need and I just want something more and half the time they're not even sure where that begins. So we sat there and we're like, all right, what are the most common cravings? Why don't you flip to the next okay. slide for me? Oh, so let's do this first. Okay. So we came up starting with the end in mind, right? Because we want to come up with the takeaway and then build backwards so that we know we're building to something that they can carry beyond them. When they sit there and they're like, I just need something more, more times than not, it does not include the creator. It includes something tangible that's around them or this aching desire they have within them. So we developed the tagline, your cravings drive you towards your creator. Okay, flip to the next one for me. That was our main takeaway from camp. So we came up, we came up with this survey because never ever do we want to assume that we 100% know where a teenager is at, right? That's kind of youth ministry 101. We always want to ask rather than just jump. 
to conclusions. So our team came up with this survey and took it to our individual youth groups and had them fill it out. And they picked, some of you have the survey in front of you right now. We may not have enough. My apologies for that. So we handed this to all of our teams and said, okay, pick your top five. What are your top five? Rank them, order them, whatever you want to do. What are the things that in your deepest core of yourself are you craving, are you aching for? So we took those results, and those results are what we built camp off of. Okay, so look at these for a second. I'm going to give you 60 seconds. How's that sound? I'm going to give you 60 seconds to look at the list, whether you have it in front of you, or you see it up here, or you can see it on our little circle of cravings There's right there. There are more options on there, actually. There are more options on there. These are the ones that were the most popular that came off the survey, okay? I want you to look at them, and I want you to pick your top three cravings. 60 seconds, ready, roll. You got about 10 seconds. We good? We all there? We good? Okay. You flip to the next slide for me, please. So we started off Sunday night of camp, which is our first night of camp with a bang. Okay. So we asked them in their small group time, after kind of an introductory session of, hey, this is what we're looking at this week. We asked them in their small group time to flesh out what their top two cravings were. And then we brought them back into our amphitheater, into a whole group situation, okay? And we had this beautiful piece of plywood up on stage, okay? And as you can see, if you look under appearance, you'll see three screws. There are three screws on every craving. So they got this list of cravings, okay? And they had to pick their top two. And in an incredibly vulnerable moment, while worshiping, we asked them to take two pieces of string and identify what their top two cravings were. So they tied a piece of string to the middle and then tied it to the craving. And, and let me tell you something. It's really easy to think that the three-letter word <laughs> up top, right, was the one that everybody would avoid. That was the first string. Mm -hmm. The first string that went up was a freshman boy who tied that string and said, this is where I'm at. And what that allowed is it allowed room and space for authenticity and genuineness just to flood camp. Okay. So that moment right there, that's how we started. Literally within three hours of them arriving, it was a moment of vulnerability that we built on for the rest of the week. So the, hit one more for me. So the top five cravings that our results revealed were these. Success, 
belonging, purpose, control, and adventure. Okay. You're going to have to get up now. I want you to start emotionally preparing yourself for that. Okay? We're going to ask you, with the three cravings, go back for me, one. With the three cravings that you just analyzed and kind of dug into, we're going to ask you guys to come up and create your own wheel. Okay? So we'll go slow so we're not like stampede style in here, right? Okay? So we're going to ask you, so I'm going to do mine real quick. Okay? My top three cravings are these. My top one is success. My second one is purpose. Okay? And my third one is significance. And for any of you that know me, you're like, duh. Right? Okay? The, those are the things that I crave. These are the things that drive me to do what I do and drive me to do it the way I do it. Okay? So we're going to play a song. And during that song, I'm asking you just to slowly come up and draw your lines, and we'll see what our class wheel looks like. Cool? Yeah? Cool? Mm -hmm. All right. Go. All right. Head up when you're ready. Somebody's got to go first.
going rogue. <laughs> That's right. Christine already went rogue. That's okay. <laughs> So we all need a little bit more purpose in life. That's pretty obvious. Or we, maybe we should just do that day of camp right yeah, here, right yeah. now. Okay, that is, um, can you go back to the other picture for me? That is super consistent with our teens. Look at this. The one thing that shocked me with our teens analysis of their cravings is look at the one that got none. It's appearance, right? Is that maybe, maybe when we look at our teens and we see that they're so worried you know about how they look or how they're perceived maybe there's a layer deeper to that mm -hmm. because it's not what they identify as their first craving that's a nugget that we got out of Sunday that we address the rest of the week but your wheel is very much in line with theirs how interesting I wonder if there's a clue to that. <laughs> yeah so the theme verse we chose that kind of led us, that kind of helped build this week of camp was Hebrews 13, 14. It says, here we have no lasting city, but we seek or crave the city that is to come. And what, what's really interesting about this is like the entire, like Hebrew, the end of Hebrews chapters 10 through 13 kind of pictured the Christian life as a journey towards the city, beginning with Abraham and everybody mentioned in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And what's really cool is that this verse is basically synonymous with what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, but seek, same word, in Hebrews 13, 14, it's epizeteo, uh, this really striving and seeking uh, to find something. And here in Matthew 6, it's just zeteo, but same meaning. Seek first the kingdom of God, and city and kingdom of God are synonymous terms. The city is just the place where Jesus reigns. All right. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Here in the city and the kingdom of God, all your desires will be ultimately satisfied in Jesus himself. And so Hebrews 13, 14 served as our, our theme verse. And the flow of the week looked like this. Taking that thought from Hebrews 13, 14, this idea of the quest of the Christian life headed toward the city of God, we began, began Sunday with this feeling of something more. We all have that craving. And therefore, Monday through Friday, we tackled each of their individual desires that were placed at the top based upon their survey. Success was Monday, belonging Tuesday, purpose Wednesday, control Thursday, and Friday we ended with adventure because when you enter into the city on Friday, you're talking about an eternal adventure in the new heavens and new earth and just trying to imagine what that might be. Um, and so that's what our foe of the week looked like. And this, you had you something about this. In so the um, our junior high camp, our middle school camp, comes before our high school camp. And I was in super brain fart mode about, man, what is this backdrop going to look like? What are we going to do? And then we had two high schoolers who are super creative. They're, they were seniors that year. Come up and help us during kind of like our behind the scenes effort with our middle school camp. And I looked at them and I said, here's what we need. We need something that expresses a journey, kind of like a map. It's got to have these five destinations on it, but it's got to end with the ultimate goal, the city in the middle. That's literally all they got. They got three panels, a couple of paintbrushes, and some pretty sketchy paint. And we said, go at it. And they did. And over the course of three days, this just flowed out of them. There was no, okay guys, we gotta get back to work, we gotta get back to work. It was, can I skip this next activity so that I can keep working on this? 
And it was one of those moments where their craving for where am I going and why am I here and what's the end, what does that really look like, just started to ignite in them and came out in this artistic expression. So they created, you can see Success Mountain, and then it goes to Adventure River, and it kind of comes around, and then it comes to the Golden City in the middle. And it was, this, it was this beautiful expression of, I have to get out this thing that is larger than me that I can't define. Props to them for using the Golden State Warrior logo, too. Yeah. Yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> Go. Okay, I'm going to geek out on you right now. It's going to be awesome. Okay, so... What, one thing that we know about teenagers, okay, or any, any growing young adult is that the frontal lobe is not fully developed until the ages of between 24 and 26. Somewhere in that ballpark, that's when that filter of decision making is really done developing. So teenagers, because of that, because of that biological factor, are constantly in this state of evaluation. They're constantly sitting there going, is that really right? Is that really wrong? Wait a minute, who am I really? So one of our goals of camp is to give them a tool to help flesh out who God made them to be and maybe what they're meant to do with that. So I stumbled upon, through our preaching minister, Shane, at Campbell, two years ago, we were coming home from a conference, and he looked at one of my good friends and said, oh, you're a challenger. And I was like, what? What is that, right? And he came into my office and said, you're a five. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> but um, it stumbles upon the Enneagram. And what the Enneagram is, is it's, I hesitate to call it a personality typing system because I don't think that does it justice. I think it's a psychological typing system that really goes deep down into your motives. Maybe taking the Myers-Briggs. Have you guys done that before? Right? Okay, I'm an INTJ, which is probably why I crave success, purpose, and significance, right? I'm about production, okay? The Enneagram gives me my why. Why am I like that? What is my motive behind that? What are the deep child psychological implications of why I feel the need to do things a certain way and maybe why I react subconsciously without even knowing it's coming or knowing how to stop it, okay? So what we did is when our students arrived, we had them take the Enneagram test, okay, to figure out where they land on the spectrum. And then we had them take photos of themselves holding up their number, okay? So we have a one and we have a two. Flip to the next slide. So they walked in knowing they had a number and having zero idea what that number meant. That was fun, right? <laughs> Okay, and then we sat down and explained, okay, here's the Enneagram. This thing goes back as farther than we can recall, but we know that it was used in South America in the 13th century by Brazilian monks to flesh out spiritual gifts. So this, this thing, this Enneagram, this psychological typing system has interweaved with Christianity for centuries, and it's kind of making a comeback. Okay. So we took this and we were like, all right, let's, let's figure out your heritage, number one, and then let's flesh out how you are organically designed to contribute to the kingdom of God, because you play a role, and they need to know that. So we fleshed all this out. My number, to no surprise, is the achiever. 
I'm a number three. Okay, I'm all about getting it done. Let's make it as good as possible. Do whatever it takes, right? That's my success, purpose, and significance fleshing out. Okay, this guy's a five. He's an investigator. The more he knows, the better off he feels, the more capable he feels, and the braver he is to go out and execute it. He's the guy that's got to go home and do his homework. I'm the one that says, let me look at it and let's fix it right now. Okay? Flip to the next slide for me. The cool thing about the Enneagram is that we're all connected on it. It's not like a solo thing, right? It's not like introverts over here, extroverts over here. Because you trend and flow in certain directions on the Enneagram in times of health or growth and in times of stress, you flow another direction. So in times of health, I'll talk about myself being a three, I flow towards a six. The six is the loyalist. So here's how it really fleshes out practically. When I am in a unhealthy state, I'm achieving for me and for me alone. When I am in a healthy state, I am achieving for the greater good, not needing to be the tip of the spear, but having to be a part of the spear and do my job. Okay, And that's the loyalist mentality of everybody together. Let's be friends. Let's make peace. Let's be together. Okay, Jordan, to talk about you, which is a really healthy marriage exercise. Yes. <laughs> okay, Jordan being a five, when he's in a healthy state, transitions up to an eight. An eight is your challenger. They are your leaders, your CEOs, your social justice, out there agents. They're the ones that lead with a passion, right? So when he's got his information and he's feeling healthy, he transitions up into that eight role, that challenger role, and is willing to share and execute what he knows. Flip to the next one. Right. This is where it gets fun. <laughs> right? So this is, uh, this is under times of stress. Okay? And being a three, I transition up to a nine. Here's what we need to know. The nine is called the peacemaker. That sounds like a pretty good place to be when you're in times of stress, right? Well, I'm just going to create peace. When you are in times of stress, you lean towards the negative trait of the number that you're directing towards. So nines in a negative spot disengage, become a little sloth-like, kind of lethargic, and just like, whatever, I'm done. <coughs> Me, when I'm in a negative state, and it's not going the way I want it to go, tend to punt the football, and I'm like, yeah, I'm out. I'm done. Because this isn't what I would prefer it to be. Healthy marriage exercise number two. Here we go. <laughs> fives, <laughs> fives in a negative state, because one of their gifts is thoughtfulness, they trend towards seven, which is the enthusiast. And it's everything you think of, right? They're the ones that are climbing Mount Kilimanjaro one day, and then they got to go deep sea diving the next. Every vacation is an adventure. We're not going to sit still. We've got to move on to the next thing. It's all about the emotions of the moment. Fives, when trending towards seven in a stressful state, tend to just react and flow and lose some of that thoughtfulness of, no, I'm right. No, I'm right. You need to hear me. That comes out. Okay. So we took this and we walked our students through on Monday. You know, they got that number on Sunday and they were like, well, what do I do with this? Monday morning, we had them meet with their fellow numbers. So all the ones met together, the twos, threes, all the way around. 
Okay. And the numbers who had the most were numbers who had the most were ones and twos. So our perfectionists and our helpers, right? Which is a great friend pairing, ironically. Okay. So they they met and they discussed and they fleshed out because with our staff as well, we had them take the Enneagram test. So we had one volunteers and staff leading the one group. We had twos leading the two group. So there was just this really magical thing that happened. There was just this common and basic understanding of each other when sitting in that group. And it was almost, it's almost like you didn't have to ask the Holy Spirit to be present. There was just automatic connection. And that was really powerful for those students. Conversation was easy. And for Monday morning of a camp, that's unusual. Because there's still awkwardness. Okay? So we, we had them flesh out their strengths and their weaknesses. They made videos exhibiting their strengths and weaknesses. Super funny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, go next one for me. But here's what we hit on Wednesday. On Wednesday, we went to the not so fun side of the Enneagram. The Enneagram is based off the seven deadly sins. Which, fun fact, there are originally nine deadly sins. So it's based off the original nine deadly sins. So we talked about what do we do in times of stress? What is our bias that drives us away from God and God's plan for us? Okay, so like for me, as a three, deceit is my deadly sin. I will tell you what you want to hear as long as it makes me look good when I'm not in a good spot. Five. Five is avarice or greed would be another word for that. Fives are more, I need more knowledge, I need more information, and it's all mine, I'm not going to share. I've got a lot of books. (laughs) (laughs) Boxes in our garage. (laughs) So that's, so if you know the Enneagram and you see these sins kind of the sins that you trend to right we all commit these at some point or another right and we address that with our students this is going to come out of you in some way or another but what's the one you lean towards the most what's the one that's happening subconsciously because you're designed to use a certain gift but sometimes there's a back end to that what's that back end okay that comes out of you subconsciously that maybe we need to become a little more aware of wednesday was a raw day for us fleshing this out We'll flip to the next one for Okay. So I'm going to give you, like, in one, well, three slides, one chunk of what we tried to get them to take away with the Enneagram. Because what we don't want to do is have this psychological typing system become the thing that we worship and follow, right? We want it to lead us to the one we are worshiping and following. Okay. So what, what the Enneagram is, is it's all nine types together imaging the Father. Okay, imaging the one who created us, the one who surrounds us, okay, the original designer, right? But sin happens, as we learned with the nine deadly sins. Because of that, we needed a bridge, right? And Jesus bridges us to the Father, reconnects us, gets us back into community with him. He is present with us again, right? So Jesus is that bridge from the outer circle to all of us, all of us on the Enneagram. I would say that you've got all nine Enneagram types in this room. So Jesus is the one that brings us back to the Father and connects us. Get the next one. 
but we do a really good job of messing that up amongst ourselves, right? We do a really good job of pointing out each other's, hey, you're great at this, but. We're awesome at but statements, and we're awesome as adults at doing but statements to teens. And I think what we tried to do by bringing the Holy Spirit into this kind of Enneagram model was take us from the place where we were shaming desires to shifting them and redirecting them to the creator. We as youth leaders, confession time, it's a lot easier to look at a teen and say, stop doing it, than to ask, why are you doing it? This was a week of why. And this was a week of, it's okay to crave sex. It's okay. But why do you think you're craving it? Sex is the action. What's underneath? What's the motive? What drives you to that form of intimacy? What drives you to that? That was what this week was all about. And that's where the Holy Spirit came in huge of how do we all connect? What brings us back to that core? I love how the Enneagram ended up fleshing out our cravings um, that week. And here was our basic message for the week. that uh, We spoke to the students and reminded them throughout the week. We all crave something more. And a craving is a God-instilled desire or longing, which is good and, and not bad, even though we often talk about how bad they are. We wanted to stay positive here, a positive apologetic, if you will. But crooked cravings are when we seek ultimate satisfaction in something other than Jesus first that leave us feeling unsatisfied. There was an article in Christianity Today back in January that talked about how um, you know, that, that image of a God-shaped hole, and, and maybe that hole isn't meant to be filled anyway. That, that was the author's point throughout the entire article, that maybe we had this hole, but I don't think we should be filling it. Um, but one of our main points was this, you're, you crave something more when you crave something more than Jesus. And then here's how we finished it up. Here, go back to that line okay. because it's kind of wordy. Okay. <laughs> you crave something more when you crave something more than Jesus. Did you want to say something to so, that? So, I mean, it's, it's a little wordy, right? But uh -huh. it's you're always longing for something more when you're not pursuing Jesus, was our message. That that's the only thing that will fill the hole. Yeah. And so we finished up the message like this. Like, these unsatisfied and satisfied cravings tell us something. James K. Smith, C.S. Lewis, they, they're all right when they, when they kind of speak that to us. And so we do have cravings nothing in this world can satisfy because we were made for God's city. All right, The kingdom of God, the place where Jesus reigns, the place where our desires will be ultimately satisfied. And our unsatisfied cravings are markers toward Jesus and his city where they will be ultimately satisfied. And our main point again is your cravings drive you in your life toward your creator. They, are, they can be positive, but we often misdirect them to things other than Jesus first. And so on Friday, when we kind of brought camp to a climax, we uh, transformed the cravings wheel that they created on Sunday into this. And Corey, did you want to speak into this a little bit? So um, it's really easy to say, well, then when this comes, I'll be okay, right? And so it's, it's kind of hard to read right here, but it says, if I only have, right? Or when I get it, I will be whole. And we wanted them to live in the moment, in the reality of, but you have, and this is all you need. Okay, so instead of saying, oh, I need success, I need adventure, I need all this stuff, we use names of God 
to flesh out. These are all of the things that you already have inside of you that you are organically designed to be propelled towards, right? And so later that night, we, we went, took them from the amphitheater when they transformed uh, the cravings wheel. And they took their pictures that they made. Uh, we printed them off uh, with their Enneagram number on them. Um, and they took them up to the Grove, which is like this awesome place, a redwood grove up on top of a mountain there at Daybreak Camp outside Santa Cruz, uh, California in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And we put up a cross. It's hard to see because of the angle of the picture, but that is a cross. And we had a bunch of nails nailed into the cross. And they each chose a nail, and they put their picture on a nail, and they connected their piece of string to that nail where they put their picture on as kind of like, okay, my cravings do drive me toward Jesus. They do drive me toward the Creator. Um, and the Enneagram helped me flesh out what I truly crave, and I know that what I crave is should be directed towards Him, and my satisfaction is found ultimately in Him and His city. And as we were putting this together, it was just a really awesome moment um, with, with each other up there in the Grove. Did you want to no. say something to that? But that's just one picture of what we did Friday night to kind of bring camp and this message uh, to a climax together. And so I'm going to nerd out on you a little bit now. Um, we did camp, and we got the evaluations back. And both <laughs> student and adult alike who were participating in it uh, responded back like, wow, this was really impactful. Um, this was like the most spiritual camp I've ever been to. Some of them said that, and I was like, great, awesome, that's what we're shooting for, great. And it wasn't until after camp that then I read, started to read Charles Taylor, that Catholic philosopher, and then I read Andrew Root, whose latest book is uh, Faith Formation in a Spiritual, or in a Secular Age. And Charles Taylor and Andrew Root, they talk about this, this age, our age right now that we live in, as an age of authenticity. And Andrew Root summarizes that age like this. It says, the age of authenticity is where the point of life is not in following an external authority, but the inner search for our individual meaning and purpose, which asserts that we should be directed by nothing outside us, but, but only by what we find meaningful within us. And this whole discussion about the age of authenticity that, that I read after camp kind of revealed to me why it, this was so impactful for student and adult alike. And so that is the age of authenticity. And, 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 and Taylor, in his book, A Secular Age, goes into uh, this world, our social imaginary that we live in. He calls it the imminent frame. And so all of us, whether we like it or not, are affected by the social, social imaginary that we have here in this age of authenticity that he calls the imminent frame, where each of us are buffered. Nothing outside us affects us. We are not porous. We're buffered. So anything outside us, like evil spirits or even good spirits, they can't affect us, all right? Because we live in a disenchanted world where there is no such fairy tales such as spirits and angels and gods and such. And therefore, faith becomes flat. Faith no more becomes about experiencing divine action, the work of the Holy Spirit. Faith then becomes about searching out authenticity, which is um, pursuing my own individual desires and passions in my own life. That is the objective of life in the imminent, in the imminent frame. And therefore, as a result, though, we pay an awesome amount of attention to what we experience because only through experience can we realize are we getting to authenticity or not. But when we have these experiences of pursuing our passions and desires, we have this experience that Andrew Root says, this is where perhaps we can help people break through the imminent frame 
back into transcendence. We've had these feelings and experiences of cross-pressure, these echoes of transcendence when we pursue our passions and desires. Therefore, authenticity, ironically itself, is the key to break back out of the imminent frame into transcendence and think about faith and faith formation again as experiencing divine action rather than just doing what we feel like and nobody telling us what to do. I hope I explained that well. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a five. Um, and therefore, I was going to ask you a question before switching to this slide. But I was going to ask you, what do you think was the most Googled term in 2017? But since I switched to the slide, anyway, um, I want you to pick one of these top 10 terms of 2017 that have been Googled and pick yours that you think um, encompasses like the most significant craving that you, you have yourself or you think people have. Take a minute to do that. So, like, one great place um, to figure out what people are craving is Google and what they seek there, okay? And so you have Hurricane Irma, you have Matt Lauer, you have death up there, you have destruction, you have um, shootings, you have the Conor, Conor and Mayweather and Conor McGregor fight. Um, more fidget spinner. Fidget spinner. Did anybody pick fidget spinner? Yes. All right. So... One for me that really spoke to me the most was the solar eclipse. According to biography.com, it was the number one popular culture moment uh, of 2017. And this is like just a, a, an experiment of pursuing this idea that Root says about the being, having an intention to experience and seeing how people are misdirecting their desires and cravings in their life. And, and David Barron uh, did a TED Talk back in August. You can go watch it on YouTube. It's like six to eight minutes long. And in it, he says, hey, I'm an umberphile. That's a lover of total solar eclipses. And I'm an eclipse evangelist. Before you die, you owe it to yourself to see one. And I'm not a spiritual person. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in divine action. I wish I did, though. But when I think of my own mortality of death, and everyone I've lost, he mentions his mom. What soothes me the most is that moment of awe. I remember how I felt when I looked up and viewed that total solar eclipse. So he goes around the world chasing every single total solar eclipse, looking and searching for that experience and that feeling. And I see this, and I hear him talking, and I think, man, uh, direct that craving, direct that search to Jesus and his city where they will ultimately be satisfied. I think this is just one beautiful example from last year that we can see this playing itself out that we did at camp back at FDC last summer. And so here are some kind of takeaways as we approach uh, the end of our hour. Um, how can we tailor the gospel for our own context? Um, number one, the kind of the idea behind this whole lecture is we need to co-op this search of authenticity that people are in and use it as, hey, you know, this search for authenticity, let's, let's, let's just shift it as, because it's really, you're really questing after the city of God where Jesus is and where your desires and cravings will ultimately be satisfied. And this second one was yours. You, you like this idea. Yeah, so I kind of already mentioned it, to go from um, shaming to shifting, right? Instead of looking at them and trying to 
probably a feeling that they can't identify at that age or really identify the absolute root cause of it because I don't know about you but as an adult I'm still working on that in my 30s trying to figure out why I feel what I feel and why I do what I do okay and teenagers are at the absolute beginning starting point of that race so it's going from not shaming it to no we don't do that to shifting it and sitting in the tension of asking the question why why do you feel that way, even though we don't have the answer for why they feel that way? It's allowing them to ask the question and process with you over days, weeks, years, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Um, and so, again, the main point of the camp, week of camp is our cravings drive us toward our creator. And this idea that maybe we really are our desires. You know, um, Andrew Root in his book, Faith Formation in a Secular Age, talks about how in the age of authenticity, we bend toward this um, consumer mentality. And as a result, we've kind of uh, malformed faith formation from experiencing divine action through just sociological programs to try to save our young and keep them in church. Um, but he also talks about how, you know, it's not a bad thing to make this realization that we are our desires. And I think that that is the point um, that we really tried to drive home, that it's not a bad thing to think that way. We've, we've been kind of like trained culturally to think that in a consumer culture, that you are your desires, and how we can then take that and co-opt that and use it, yeah, you are your desires, you actually desire God and not all this other stuff, all right? And number four, the experience cross-pressure from our desires can be portals back into faith in the transcendence. Uh, I think that's one of the takeaways from this lecture as well. Number five, I don't know if you listen to the Bible Project podcast or watch the Bible Project videos on YouTube. Awesome. They just did like six, seven, or eight podcasts on the theme of exile. And as I was listening to those podcasts and, and hearing them flesh out the biblical theme of exile, I'm like, this is totally what we just did at camp. And so go on the BibleProject.com. Uh, uh, find their podcast, listen to those uh, where they discuss the biblical theme of exile because you're going to listen to that thing, boom. Um, that's totally what we did. And so I think that that biblical theme of exile is a great way to communicate the gospel in this age of authenticity. So um, that's what we've got. So with the time we have left, does anybody have any questions for us? Yeah. Have you asked your youth groups... What's wrong with Christianity today? And let them know that there's no holds barred. And if so, what kind of answers have you got? From their point of view, what's, what are we doing wrong? Why are people flowing into churches left and right? Um, I think, so usually our tactic when asking a question like that is to frame it in a way where they can start with a yes or no answer and then we ask why. Because it allows for safety in the room. So like I would ask the question of, you know, give me a yes or a no. Is is Christianity something that you feel like you can buy into? And if it's a no, I would ask why. Put on them to give me the answer. And the answer that we hear from that is it's too small. Good job. It's too small. It there's not a bigger projection of what God can do, of what God is, what the Holy Spirit can do, that it's literally a pill I can pop in my mouth Sunday morning, swallow it, and I'm good. 
we were having a, a series up in the, in the zone Sunday mornings with our high school students about world religions. And in the midst of a small group conversation, a senior said, um, in relation to comparing Christianity to other world religions, well, it really doesn't require much of you. And I was just like, oh. It's like, a senior just said that. Dang it. You know? Yeah. When, but, when I asked that of 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, yeah. the room was, you could hear a pin drop. Yeah. yeah. And then finally one guy goes, well, none of these boys go to church, about half a dozen. Yeah. None of these boys go to church except one, but they do come to our youth group for some reason. Mm. Well, all Christians hate gays, mm -hmm. was, his, was his response. Mm. I was going, yeah. wow, it was good to hear, and I'm glad he said those words out loud, because I think it let everybody... Give everybody the freedom yeah. to say whatever else might be on their mind. And I think, uh, we've been going through this as a church for the past six months, and it's um, really been on my heart and mind a lot. The topic about LGBTQ community, how do we interact with them, and how I think that this, this whole approach uh, that we did at camp and the age of authenticity helps us kind of develop some empathy and understanding for why people place their identity into their, their desires to like their sexuality and sexual preference. And therefore, I think this has helped me kind of like bring some understanding, again, of empathy of this community of people that are us and not them. Andrew Marin just wrote a book, Us Versus Us, Not Us Versus Them, because the vast majority, like over 80% of people who self-identify as LGBT+, have church backgrounds. And so the battle's not against them, it's, it's, it's our own kids that we're losing the homelessness in society when we reject them. And so um, I don't want to cry because I'm going to stop there with that, that answer, but I see this really helping me approach this humongous cultural issue, especially in the Bay Area today. Any other questions? Yeah. I know there's several places, but where, which Enneagram test did you give the kids at camp? We gave them the fastest one we could. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because we had to get, what was it, 72 kids to take it in a 90-minute time span. Right. Okay. That's awesome. But, um, but some of them took it at home. We gave them a longer one at home. Okay. Um, uh, what is it? The Road Back to You, the book mm -hmm. by um, Ian Crohn. That, that test on his website is what we gave okay. them. Yeah. Yeah. Have your students reference the Enneagram since, I mean, do they still sort of kind of divide up? And all sort the of, time. What's up, fives? Yeah. All the time. They don't do five, but they well. definitely call us out when we're acting like our numbers. Yeah. Like, I had a student look at me the other day and be like, you're trending towards a nine. Watch yourself. Uh, <laughs> so, there were five fives at camp. And Chris was one of them, another youth minister. What up, Chris? Five, represent. Um, so it was only three students who were fives. And so we're like, all right, we got a band together here. We had a fantastic yeah. time making our video. Of it. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We, we picked Josiah, you know, the, the king who led the revival. That's it was right. super technical. I'll tell you yes, that. it was. It was fantastic. Um, but actually, you want to know where we find it useful the most is with our parents. Because of Becca Carroll, who's sitting right behind you, she and I went hiking with one of our youth group parents last Friday, and she was able to self-identify a pain cycle that she was in using Enneagram language of, I'm a six, and I feel like if I'm moving unhealthy, I've got to do something, i got to do something right now, or when I'm healthy, I've got to relax and do all that stuff. Our parents are using it, and it's creating kind of a common language between parents and students to safely talk about this. Mm -hmm. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's a question. 
Okay. Um, of resources to go further, stuff we've mentioned throughout this lecture, Secular Age, Charles Taylor, 800 pages, not for the faint of heart. But if you want to learn uh, about what it says in Charles Taylor's The Secular Age, read Jamie Smith's How Not to Be Secular, which is a guide to how to read Taylor. And then Jamie Smith's other books, Desiring the Kingdom, uh, is lo longer. Uh, you Are What You Love is that condensed version of basically what he said in Desiring the Kingdom. Andrew Root's Faith Formation in the Secular Age will blow your mind. That's how he traces the history of age of authenticity and how it bended toward a consumer mentality and how it's kind of malformed faith formation in our own time today. I'm trying to write a paper on it right now. It's taking some time trying to absorb it. But again, another great book that just came out, New Copernicans, also incorporates a lot of what we talked about, especially Taylor and understanding how to go about being the church um, today. Do you want to mention last? So the one at the bottom of the slide, The Road Back to You, is Ian Crone's um, kind of introduction to the Enneagram. It's a really good place to start. A lot of the verbiage we used at camp, we used out of that book. If you're looking for a master's degree in the Enneagram, Richard Rohr's book, The Enneagram and Christian Perspective, is dynamite. Most people look at me and they're like, you're an eight. You're an eight. You got to be an eight. And it wasn't until I read Richard Rohr's book of why I realized I look like an eight, but my motive is really a three. That really dove a layer deeper and answered a lot of kind of the doubtful questions of, is this really me or is this not? I went through this book with um, someone who I'm mentoring at church right now. And literally, instead of creating awkward conversations and being like, ah, why'd you do it that way? I can look at her and be like, are you in a health track? Are you in a stress track? And that triggers her language and her knowledge to know, oh, maybe I overreacted to that. It's, it's healthy conversation. Have y'all's have congregation done any of Suzanne's stuff? Suzanne's to Beatles? Uh, no, no, but I want to. <laughs> it, it opened up, we had, we had a family, like, I had a moment of a youth going into the class with his parents. Mm -hmm. And I would, initially I was like, oh, you're not going to be in the youth. But then I saw after one class, I was like, yeah, you got to go to that. You've got so to. It's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Chris, so going into camp, uh, most of our, our group read the Enneagram and the Road Back to You. And then I also I found that there's a podcast yes. for the Road Back to You. Yes. It's fantastic. If you, if you spend a lot of time in your car, then a great way to kind of absorb some of this information and hearing them talk about it was really beneficial because you know they, they are very conversational about the Enneagram and, uh, yeah. so we're about out of time I don't know if anybody else has any questions we this is our contact information email wise if you want to contact us to send us send you the PowerPoint or anything else feel free to do that but we really appreciate you guys coming out to our lecture thank you very much that's it